0: Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the breast center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to Yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, you'll hear a conversation about healthy eating for the holidays with Mora Harrigan. Maura is a registered dietitian for the Adult Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center. Here's Dr. Anish Chagpar.
1: So, Maura, let's start off by talking about why it is that a dietitian is in the survivorship clinic. I thought survivorship was about
2: getting over treatment of cancer. It is. Um, and people come to survivorship saying, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. I've been in good hands all along my, all through my treatment. I've done everything I've been told to do. Now I'm told I'm well. I'm and cancer go, free. I'm cancer free. Go forth in wellness. And oftentimes they'll describe it as falling off a cliff yeah, and say, well, what do I do now? And yeah. one of the biggest questions is what do I eat or what don't I eat? Yeah.
1: And so, and so does that make a difference? Because I know that that's a question I get a lot too, is what did I eat to cause my cancer and what should I eat and what shouldn't I eat? So how should we be answering those questions?
2: People come to survivorship clinic with those questions and often they express a fear of food that something they ate did cause their cancer or something they will eat will cause the cancer to return. And I have to work very supportively with them to ensure them that it's really the overall eating pattern. There's no one food that's gonna trigger a response like that. That it's an overall pattern of eating in combination with moving your body. So it's good nutrition and exercise that creates an internal hormonal environment that supports wellness. So we do that going forward, and that really resonates with them because it it is a window of opportunity for uh, many of these patients that this is a time to make a change that they've probably been meaning to all along. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I get that a lot. You know, okay, now that I'm cancer-free, I'm going to eat better, exercise, lose weight, stop smoking, dot, 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 fill in the blank here. So what advice do you give people in terms of making that change, in terms of how to go forth in wellness?
2: Well, first, we try to figure out where they're at, where they're starting from. Oftentimes, there are many good things that they're already doing. Uh, So we want to acknowledge that. It doesn't have to be a major overhaul. Mm -hmm. It's often the small targeted changes that you go for that add up over time, that are sustainable, that add up to big health benefits. So we try to make it doable, uh, and people respond to that. I like them to leave saying, oh, I can do this. So oftentimes it's something as simple as making some extra time in the morning to actually eat some breakfast, even if it's peanut butter on toast and a banana. Just that little change can make a big difference in their day. So that's one example of many. So breakfast really is
1: the most important meal of the day? It is. And my Diet Coke doesn't cut it, huh? No. No. Okay. (laughs) What other tips do you have for people?
2: That eating throughout the day is important. How you eat is just as important as what you eat. So starting the day with food, not Diet Coke, is very important. And that sets the stage for the day. And that eating frequently throughout the day, fueling the body as you go through the day, makes a huge difference in terms of your energy level. Because remember, fatigue, that cancer-related fatigue, is the number one complaint of survivors who come to our clinic. So eating small, frequent meals through the day helps take the edge off that fatigue. People will start saying, hey, I feel better. And when you feel better, everything else becomes a little easier to do. So when you say eating frequently throughout the day,
1: especially to get over fatigue, a lot of people, you know, especially around the holidays, will, you know, gravitate towards the bowl of M&Ms or the chocolate that's over on the counter. um, And that can give them an energy high. But I suspect that that's not the kind of eating throughout the day that you're talking about.
2: No, that's exactly the type of eating on the fly, unprepared, that we're trying to discourage. Because what happens with that type of eating, you do get a spike in your blood sugar, you get a burst of energy, and then comes the crash, which makes the fatigue worse. So it's really going through the day, I I say eating defensively, coming armed, which means bringing food with you, bringing fruit with you, bringing nuts, uh, bringing small portable items like individual hummus, guacamole really fun foods that are now available in individual portable packages and having that with you in your desk, in your briefcase, and snacking on those foods. So you try to avoid becoming too hungry. And that's often um, a habit people fall into. They allow themselves to become too hungry, and then they're ravenous, and then they gravitate towards something quick, sweet, which then just sets off that cycle again.
1: So, what about people saying, "Well, geez, you know, I thought, you know, guacamole and nuts is fattening. I, I thought that's not what I'm supposed to be eating."
2: That's a great question, and I encounter that all the time. They're uh, yes, they do contain uh, fat, but it's the type of fat that's important. It's the type of fat that's heart healthy fat. So they're more mono and saturated fats. So. Yes, while we try to lower our overall fat intake, we want to promote the heart-healthy fats. Nuts, guacamole are perfect for that, and that's part of what we promote in a predominantly plant-based way of eating, that a lot of your fats and proteins come from plant foods, which supports heart health, which we know is a concern, as a late effect of cancer treatment.
1: Does it make a difference what you combine things with? I mean, some people say that, you know, if you have a fat, you have to have a carbohydrate and a protein at the same time. And they have to be in this combination. Like, it gets a little bit confusing, all of the stuff that's out there. How do we actually figure out what we should be eating?
2: Well, I agree. There's a lot of confusion out there and misinformation. And that's often... The number one issue I have to deal with in survivorship clinic is kind of undoing and demystifying this misinformation. So one thing, I try to have people stay off the internet (laughs) and also be careful about what well-meaning family and friends tell them. Uh, We know how to eat well, and yes, eating in proper combination of foods does help. But it's not that difficult. I usually say never eat one food alone. Always just match it up with something. Have fruit and nuts, um, vegetable and cheese. Just don't go for the bag of chips. The bag of chips alone, you'll keep eating those chips and you'll never be satisfied. You'll keep eating it because you're not getting the nutrients that you need. So your body, your brain is telling you to continue to seek food. Now, you've heard that expression, you bet you, can only, you can't eat just one. Yeah, There's science behind that, and, uh, which is exploiting our biology. So just a simple combination of putting fruit with a protein, fruit with nuts, fruit with cheese, a vegetable with nuts or cheese makes all the difference in terms of stabilizing your blood glucose levels.
1: What about calories? Should we be watching calories? Is there a certain calorie count that we should be limiting ourselves to?
2: Well, here I may surprise you. I don't believe in counting calories. Hmm. I believe your body has an innate ability to regulate your intake. And what you have to do is cultivate mindful eating practices that connects connect you back to your internal Mechanism that tells you when you're full and also tells you when you're hungry. So you have to start listening to your body. And when your body says, I'm hungry, you need to eat. You don't ignore it. And then while you're eating, you're paying attention and you're saying, Well, I'm satisfied. I can stop now. And your body has this ability to self regulate its own caloric intake. Now, this cultivation of mindful eating takes a while. But once you've accomplished it, it's liberating. You never have to count a calorie again.
1: Yeah. I think for, for many of us, uh, and I'll speak for myself, you kinda, you're eating, you feel satisfied, but then you say, oh, and by the way, that tastes really good. I'm going to finish what's on my plate. How do you get over that?
2: Uh, that's a tough one. A lot of that's ingrained habit from the way we were raised, not to waste food, finish what's on your plate, it, it, is, it does take practice. Um, in fact, uh, in one of the studies that we run, the Lean 2 study, we actually use a mindful eating scale where as you're eating you can track your satisfaction and your sense of fullness And it's a number scale. And when you, but again, you're listening to your body and you're sensing, okay, I am satisfied. I am just short of being full, which is like a number eight on a scale of zero to 10. And it is that practice of acknowledging it, thinking it, that you do learn, okay, I can stop now. And yes, there's food left on my plate. Next time you learn to serve yourself less. Yeah. So tell us a little bit
1: more about this Lean 2 trial. Many of us, when we think about trials, and we've talked about a lot of clinical trials on this show, um, we talk about drugs and we talk about therapies, um, whether it's a surgical therapy or a radiation approach or, or chemotherapy, um, looking for improvements in outcome.
2: You're a dietitian what's this lean to trial? It's a lifestyle intervention for women who've been treated for breast cancer uh, who need to lose weight, who have a BMI greater than 25. Uh, so we found that many women in the course of being treated for breast cancer actually gain weight, and that weight gain actually increased their risk for recurrence. So that's how the study came into being. We so, well, let's help these women and actually design an intervention that will help them lose weight through healthy eating and exercise. And in the process let's look for uh, track biomarkers and, and let's see if we can determine what the mechanisms are that um, that healthy eating and weight loss provide and do in the body. So we know that if
1: you're a breast cancer survivor and you gain weight you're actually at increased risk of getting your cancer back, whereas if you lose weight, you prevent that recurrence. Yes. That is amazing, right? Because that essentially says you can do something really cost-effective like eating right and exercising, losing weight, um, and preventing recurrence. Uh, that is phenomenal. So, But I think a lot of people may be listening to this show saying, we've tried to lose weight. I mean, this is the the national paradigm, right? We as a nation over the years, and everybody has seen the maps of how obese the American population is getting, we keep getting more and more and more obese. And it is difficult to lose weight. So... After the break, because I'm being told that we have to wrap up and go to break, um, I want to learn, number one, whether this intervention actually is helping people lose weight. And number two, in the second half, if you can tell everybody out there, whether they're cancer survivors or not, what the secret is to losing weight in a step-by-step process that people listening to this show can implement today That's what we're going to talk about right after we take a quick break for a medical minute. Stay tuned to learn more information about healthy eating, how to lose weight, especially around the holidays, with my guest, Maura Harrigan.
0: Genetic testing can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Genetic counseling is a process that includes collecting a detailed personal and family history, a risk assessment, and a discussion of genetic testing options. Only about 5 to 10% of all cancers are inherited, and genetic testing is not recommended for everyone. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. The Yale Cancer Center Cancer Genetic Counseling Program is a new frontier in the fight against cancer. The program provides genetic counseling and testing to people at increased risk for hereditary cancer and helps them to make informed medical decisions based on their own personal risk assessment. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I am joined tonight by my guest, Maura Harrigan. We are talking about healthy eating, weight loss and cancer survivorship especially around the holidays because all of us are looking down the pike now with holiday parties coming up and we know what that means on average people gain weight over the holidays now mora here has told us if for those of you who are with us before the break that gaining weight is really important particularly in cancer survivors because gaining weight actually increases your risk of recurrence. And she is helping breast cancer survivors at Smilo Cancer Hospital lose weight uh, through a trial called LEAN-2 through healthy eating and exercise. So the question that I posed to you, Maura, before the break is, does this intervention really work? Do people actually lose weight? Because Lord knows, many of us have tried to lose weight and it is pretty darn tough.
2: Okay. You, you gave me a tall challenge to explain a six-month intervention in 14 minutes, but I'll do my best. Okay. Um, first of all, losing weight is difficult. And just acknowledging that is important. And also that we live in an environment that, does, that discourages weight loss. We live in an environment that discourages physical activity, and we're surrounded by cheap inexpensive, kinda of lousy food. Uh, so being in that environment, it's difficult to eat well. So what we try to do in the Lean 2 study is teach women how to choose well. What it what does it mean to eat well? And how to do it in an environment that, that does not support this. So also to set a realistic goal of what is meaningful weight loss. It's surprisingly not as much as you think to get the full medical benefit. Just a 5% weight loss, you can reap significant medical benefits and a 10% weight loss even more. And that's our goal in the Lean 2 study is a 10% weight loss from their starting weight. So a 200-pound woman needs to lose 20 pounds in six months. And she says, that's all? And I say, yes. And she says, I can do that. And does she? Well, we do, yes. Yes. We, many women do. Some women get to
0: 5%.
2: In, Still. And in so far in the study, no one has gained weight. So stopping this kind of unrelenting weight gain is job one. Even in the control group who did not receive the intervention, they did not gain weight. So that says the importance of having a conversation with people that this is important paying attention to what you eat and moving more matters and just paying attention helps stop the weight gain. Okay well I think you've got everybody's attention because
1: I am certain that there are plenty of people out there me included who are thinking 10% weight loss boy that would be good in six months that would be awesome especially looking down at six months thinking that's bathing suit season. So Mora. How do we get through the holidays and lose 10% by next summer? What's the secret? How do you do it in Lean 2? How can all of the listeners out there do this? All
2: right. So first, holiday strategy. Yes. (laughs) I tell all the women in Lean 2, don't try to lose weight during the holidays. Take the pressure off yourself. The goal is to prevent weight gain. Remember, the holidays are meant to be enjoyed. Don't take the pleasure out of this. There are, certain, there are special holiday foods that you want to eat. Have it. You know, Answer that question. It wouldn't be this holiday if, there, if something was missing. Fill in the blank. For me, that's pumpkin pie and whipped cream. Have it. But the secret is you have to keep moving throughout the season. And so one of the goals in the Lean Study is to walk 150 minutes a week. 150 minutes a week. So let me, so that's 30 minutes five days a week. That's one way to do it. Or it could be 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon. You can break it up into any way you want, you can. It's just the accumulation of 150 minutes a week. So you don't need to have an hour to get to the gym. You just need to add to track. You're walking and get to 150 minutes. We also give the women a pedometer. This is a very powerful little tool. We ask them to wear it and to accumulate 10,000 steps a day. That's difficult. And that's when women realize how sedentary we really are. Often, a typical scenario is two days into wearing the pedometer, I get a phone call, and the woman says, this pedometer is broken. I was about to say. Say It only registered 800 steps. (laughs) And I'll say, well, give it another day, and this time go for a walk around the block. The next day they call. They go, it's working. I really don't move. (laughs) So the pedometer really gets you up and moving, just steps in the day, taking the stairs, um, parking farther away. I have one participant who works in the hospital, and the way she gets her steps is she decided that she will take the stairs, always, no elevators. And that's all of her activity. And she has had a phenomenal, I'd say she's done a 15% weight loss. Wow. Just by working it into her day. Okay. So we got
1: that. Um, we can eat all of the pumpkin pie and whipped cream we want, but we just have to put in 10,000 steps a day and... 150 minutes. A week of walking. Of walking.
2: Uh, let me clarify that. I didn't say all the pumpkin pie and whipped cream you want. I said you have it, have a serving, and, uh, and then go for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your treats, but that's what they are, they're treats. So don't deprive yourself. But let's get to the food side of things. Okay. So job one, rule one, is portion size. Portion control trumps everything. So you can have anything but have it in a healthy amount which often means looking on the label, seeing what a serving size is, and it's a lot less than you think. And most of us have become accustomed to very large portions. So job one, reducing portion size, goes a long way. The next step is to really drill down now and look at the foods that contribute a lot of fat in our diet, because fat's a very concentrated source of calories. So for every gram of fat that you can dig out, you get a big return Uh, in terms of reduction of calories. Uh, Also, it supports heart health. So we give women target, target fat grams for the day. So it can range anywhere from 35 to 55 grams a day, depending upon their weight. And so the way that you know how much fat is in something, read the label? Read the label. It's on the label. It will tell you in a serving size how many grams of fat there are. And if it's not if you're eating a food that is not does not have a label, that is part of the lean protocol, we give you a guide to, to determine how you can figure that out. Okay. Sometimes you're kinda of guessing, but it's it's still a pretty good guess. All
1: right. So we've got it. Activity, portion size,
2: watch the fat. Next what thing else? dig out the sugar. And that's a big one. So we want to reduce the simple added sugars in our daily intake. And I want to differentiate what I mean by simple added sugars. Um, The naturally occurring sugar that you find in fruit doesn't count. That's all healthy. What we're looking for is sugar that's put into food that was never meant to be there. Um, A prime example would be a surprising food, a Greek yogurt, Hmm. a fruited Greek yogurt. When you look at the label and look at how many grams of sugar there are, it could be 28 grams of sugar in that one container. Let's think about that. 28 grams of sugar, one teaspoon is four grams. Wow! Right, so in that container of yogurt, you just had six to seven teaspoons, which you would never add to a cup of yogurt that you were having at home. So it's that kind of awareness that added sugars, again, on the label that we're trying to dig out. and we But we, we put a cap on it. We give ourselves an allowance of about 30 grams a day. Okay. So if you want your dark dark chocolate treat, you can have it within that 30 grams. But we're looking for those hidden sugar grams. And another culprit would be the drinks you get at a culottas, Starbucks, the Frappuccino's loaded with sugars and those I really go after those with women and when they start getting rid of those added sugars that's when they really start feeling better and actual their cravings for sweets start to decline okay Maura what about the artificial
1: sweeteners am I okay with the Diet Coke are we okay with Splenda
2: that kind of thing There's we a say- bit of yes. please say yes <laughs> I say yes <laughs> Um, I think everything in moderation. Um, you know, one or two servings of artificial sweeteners a day, fine. And there's a new generation of sweeteners that are naturally occurring sugars that are just super concentrated, uh, like the Truvia, uh, which are really uh, are excellent. For anyone who's especially concerned, the um, Center for Science and Public Interest in their recent Nutrition Health Action Newsletter – they did a whole piece on artificial sweeteners. So you can go to their uh, website, cspi.org, and look at that article. Okay.
1: So long as they didn't take away my Diet Coke, <laughs> I'm okay. All right. What's next after we get rid of sugars? We add fiber. Okay. <laughs> this doesn't mean we have to have Metamucil every day, does it? No, we have it in
2: beautiful, colorful fruits and vegetables. Okay. Okay. So again, we're adding more fiber. The magic number is 30, 30 grams of fiber or more a day. So remember, it was 30 grams of fiber or more a day and 30 grams of sugar or less. Got it. So we're always looking at fiber against sugar. And so even on the label, they're right next to each other. So when you're evaluating a product, you're always looking at how much fiber is in this product versus how much sugar. You want more fiber, less sugar. This is one of the most critical pieces of information you can have when you go food shopping and it starts changing the foods that you buy and it starts changing how you feel. Hmm. So,
1: people have talked about soluble fiber, insoluble fiber. Do we need to worry about that or is it just fiber grams period? Fiber grams period. Okay. That makes it simple. All right. So, we've we've cut our our fat, we've cut our sugar, we've added fiber.
2: Now what? Now you're good to go. Now what now what happens is your plate starts to look different. All of a sudden your plate is full of predominantly plant foods. Two-thirds of your plate are filled with plant foods, colorful fruits and vegetables. The color is the key. The more color, the better. The color is really the visual and the indicator of the phytonutrients that are contained in that food. There are hundreds of these phytonutrients and different clusters impart the color. So in order to capture these hundreds of phytonutrients, just eat by color. And -hmm. in the course of your week, eat all the colors of the rainbow. You've then captured hundreds of phytonutrients. And these are the compounds which support your body's immune system, which is really your first line of defense against all disease. And it also helps lower inflammation. So this is where we get into food as medicine, food as healing. Interesting. But the one thing that you haven't mentioned, we've mentioned
1: fat, we've mentioned sugar, we've mentioned fiber, you didn't say anything about protein. Do we have to worry about protein? Should we be taking in more protein,
2: less protein? How does that work? It's a good question. We typically, as Americans, take in way more protein than we need. So in this way of eating, in this predominantly plant-based way of eating, we're actually eating less protein. And we're actually using meat as a condiment. We're planning the meal around the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, and using meat as a condiment. And then even some days not having animal protein, having plant protein, beans, nut butters. So it is a lower protein diet. Okay. So We've got all of this, so in our
1: last minute, tell us about vitamins. Yes,
2: no, maybe. I'm coming down on no, because if we're eating this beautiful plate full of colorful fruits and vegetables, Mother Nature is providing the vitamins in the amounts and in the context and supporting cast members that are needed for absorption and utilization in the body. I do not support use of supplements except in cases where there's a true deficiency.
0: Maura Harrigan is a registered dietitian for the Adult Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888. 888- 2344YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.